love it. In June of 1993, guys, um, I, was, I learned a lesson about dating. Now, I, I asked my wife if I could share this, and she said I could. Um, I was 19 years old and still a novice when it came to the whole dating thing, all right? Wasn't very good at that. My understanding of women was even less than it is now, okay, if that's possible. Well, I was working at Little Caesars Pizza. That's what I did after my freshman year. I was a pizza delivery driver. And if you know anything about pizza, most people don't order pizzas in the morning. Pizza delivery is a second shift job, evenings, uh, afternoons and evenings. And so um, Rachel and I had just met. We met on a blind date, and we, uh, uh, <laughs> we met on May 30th, 1993. I actually know the date. And so it was a, like the Thursday or Friday after that. This was a brand new relationship, and I was excited, and, and I think she was excited too. And so uh, I saw her on Thursday, and then that Friday I worked a 12-hour shift until midnight. That's how you made money as a pizza delivery driver. You, you, you worked until midnight because the more the night went on, the more people had to drink, the more they would tip. Okay, especially at UK, and that, that's what, that's what we, so, so until midnight, and then the next day, I went and worked an eight-hour shift from noon until 8 p.m., okay, so um, that was back in the time, and, and this is going to be really strange to about half of you in here, that was in the time before cell phones, and so you actually had to be home, how many of y'all remember this, and you had to call the other person's home, you couldn't call a person, you had to call their home, okay? And, and so, uh, and, and half the people in here are like, oh, man, that, I have, I've never seen that. Well, most of you haven't, actually. So uh, there was no way on Friday night I was going to call Rachel's home after midnight. I got home at 1230, so I wasn't going to call then because that was rude. We had, we had, how many of you all had rules about how late you could call? Okay, we could not call after 10 p.m. because that was rude. That was considered rude back then, okay? So the next, I, 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 was, I was exhausted, so I got up at like 11, and I went straight to work, so I didn't call her then. Well, so I got off work about 8.30. Remember, I had no access to phones. I'm, I'm trying to make this better, you guys. All right? And I was excited to talk with her, and I, you know, called her up at 8.30 that night, called her home, not her, called her, called her home. And she answered, hello. I said, hey, this is Dave. She goes, who? And I said, you know, Dave, the guy we've been dating a little bit. She goes, I'm sorry, who is this? Pretending not to know me. And, and she, she said, oh, you're the guy I haven't heard from in two days. And I'm like, so I, I was working. I, I, I was, you know, and, and guys, I, this is something for all the single guys, maybe even the married guys in here, Here's some advice. I communicated something that meant well, but it didn't go well. Okay? I said, I said, Rachel, I didn't have any spare time. Now, what I meant to say was I didn't have access to a phone, and, and I, there's no way I'm calling you at midnight or 1230 and waking up your parents when we don't really even know each other, and then, you know, all this guy, what I meant to say was that, but I, it came out, I didn't have any spare time. Well, I held the phone like this, I got an earful, you know, well, I don't want your spare time, I, you know, and, and boy, that, that did not go well. I stepped on a landmine there, 
And what I had communicated to Rachel was that she was getting what was left over, not my best. She was getting my spare time, okay? Are you a person who gives God and people your spare time? What's left over? What you just don't need after all the important stuff has been done? Are you that kind of person? Or do you give God and people your best? That's the question. In his book, The Millionaire Next, in the book Millionaire Next Door, um, a, a, an author, Dave Stanley, did a uh, did a, a study of first generation millionaires. I've talked about it quite a bit because there's a lot of stuff in there. And in the book, he did a he did a comparison of people with similar incomes, almost identical incomes. Who, some people who had a lot of uh, of wealth, and people who didn't have anything. And he found two things in common. Okay, the people that even though they had similar incomes, the people that had a lot of wealth were people that prioritized saving and giving first. They put it in first. They called those the big rocks. They put the big rocks in first so that when a tough month came along, a tough month came along, they continued to save and give they didn't go out to eat or they didn't go shopping. They sacrificed in the other areas. Now, the people, even with similar incomes that had nothing, their, their giving and their saving was the first to be cut. They, they didn't save, they didn't give, but they kept going out to eat and they kept going out for, on a tight month. And over time, those things really affected them. Even though they had similar incomes, these people had a lot of money, these people had none, Okay. So they were taught, he was talking about putting the big rocks in first. They're, they're saving, they're giving, got their best, all right? Proverbs eleven twenty four through 25 says this, One person gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. The Bible encourages generosity because so much of life boils down to the law of sowing and reaping. The law of sowing and reaping, Every, everybody understands that. If you have a yard, if you have anything, you understand that whatever you plant grows. Whatever you do comes back. The law of sowing and reaping says this, 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly also reaps sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Proverbs 11, 24, and 25 basically uh, uh, attests to the truth of the law of sowing and reaping. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Why? Because the law of sowing and reaping. Another withholds unduly yet comes to poverty. Why? Because of the law of sowing and reaping. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Why? Because of the law of sowing and reaping. I want us to understand this. I want us to understand this. Many of us are like farmers looking at the field saying, why, why aren't the crops growing? Well, genius, did you plant something? You can't sit there and, and, and look at a field wondering why crops aren't growing when you haven't planted anything, right? I mean, e even, even a first grader understands that. You, you say, well, why, why am I broke? Well, genius, did you save? Uh, why, why do I have such a bad reputation? Uh, well, do you treat people like garbage? Do you, are you ever available for others? 
Are, are, are you greedy and selfish and think only of yourself? That is what you have planted, and that's what you're reaping. Okay? The law of sowing and reaping. Right? The Bible is full of teachings about the law of sowing and reaping. Not just financial. See, the problem with people is that they've been so burned by the concept of generosity because you think it's only about money. It is not. Generosity is a mindset. I want you guys to say that. Mindset. Say mindset. Generosity is a mindset. It is a, it's a joyful mindset. It is a godly mindset where you take on the very heart of God himself. God is generous, not just with things either. Hear me here. God is generous with himself. He is available. God is not just with blessings and gifts. He's available. If we're followers of God, if we're Christians, we need to do the same thing. God at his most basic level is a giver. All right, and if we're Christians, we must do that. We cannot separate God and generosity. Therefore, you should not be able to separate Christians from generosity either. But what is generosity? Well, here, uh, if you guys look in your outlines, if you guys uh, look up on the screen, you can follow along with me. The first thing is this. Generosity is availability. That's all it is. It's availability. First Timothy 6.17 says this. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment, okay? My question to you guys is simply this. Are you available? Are you available? That's what generosity is. Generosity isn't just giving. Let's get that mentality out of our minds, okay? Generosity is simple availability. Are your financial resources available? Are your time resources available? Are your mentoring resources Available? Are, you, is, are your prayers available? Are your compassion, is that available to people? Is your teaching available to people? Is, are, are, are these things available? See, that's a question you have to ask yourself. Are you available? Um, if you're not available, then none of the rest of this message will make sense. As a matter of fact, the Christian life won't make sense to you if you're not available. You're not, it, it will not make sense at all. You'll see God as an imposition You'll see people as a bother. You'll see everything as an unwanted interruption into your life that you're trying to live if you are not available. You'll see the world the way Ebenezer Scrooge sees the world from Christmas Carol. But if you have a mindset of generosity, you are available. It is taking your life and saying, yes, I'm available what is the one thing that nobody has any, anything and, and has n nothing of? It's time. I, I would love it if Christians, pe people come up to Christians and say, hey, hey, do you, do you have any time? And you're like, yeah. Yeah. Let's go get coffee. Talk to me. Let's sit down. I have time for you. That's what Christians should be marked for. We should be generous. We should be available. That's what generosity at its most basic level is. Your two most, most valuable resources are time and money. Are they available? Not saying all the time, give it. I'm saying are they available? It's a mindset. The second thing we find out about generosity is that generosity can be abused. It is the opposite of enabling. Everybody say enabling. 
enabling. There's some Proverbs that just don't seem to make any sense, and this is one of them. Check this out. Proverbs 30, 15 says this, the leech has two daughters. Give, give, they cry. What the heck is that supposed to mean? I didn't know leeches had daughters. How do you tell a female leech? I don't know. I, I mean, some of you guys more brilliant than me, but I didn't know leeches had daughters. It's, it's, but is that what he's talking about? I, I don't know. But 2 Thessalonians 3.10 says this, For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Whoa, doesn't sound very kind, does it? Well, it's because we don't understand what generosity, what biblical generosity really is. Okay, the dark side of giving, of generosity, is it can quickly become enabling. And I'll get back to the scriptures in just a second. Generous people can easily be taken advantage of. If generous people do not understand the biblical parameters on generosity, it's not your job, listen, listen, it is not your job to solve the problems of other people. You understand? God has not placed you on this world, on this earth, to solve the problems of other people. You may help, you may provide limited assistance, but you cannot save people. You cannot rescue people if they are not willing to do it themselves. It is a hard lesson in life for people who love to give and for people who care. It's a hard, hard lesson to learn. One day, about three years ago, three and a half years ago, a guy, there was a knock on the door of the church. I was in my office. A guy named Bob showed up front door. Bob had been in my inside-out dad class. For those of you who don't know, I teach a fatherhood class at the jail. And it was very strange to see him because I knew that he was not getting out. He was not supposed to be getting out. But here he was. And he said, they kicked me out of the jail. I was like, what did you do? <laughs> he goes, no, I, I didn't do anything, okay? Like, that's pretty bad if you get kicked out of jail. That's, that's, that's pretty bad. And he goes, no, it's overcrowded, and I was nearing the end of my sentence. They, they, they came and got me, and they said, get out of here. And here I am. And um, he still had time on his sentence, but I guess they told him to get out. I never heard of this, like I said, but I don't know much about the criminal justice system. But anyway, Bob had, Bob had nothing. He had nothing. He had the clothes on his back, which wasn't much. He was hungry. Uh... It was wintertime, no coat, nothing. And I made a mistake with Bob, you guys. It was well-intentioned, but I made a mistake. I arranged a week's stay at hotel down the, down the street, and I had 50 bucks on me. I gave it to him. After all, he had no clothes, no food, no money, nothing. I mean, what was he going to do? Well, the next day, Bob called me from the hotel. I need more. I don't know about you all, but I can't afford to support someone, especially a grown man. Especially $50 a day. I, t I told him I didn't have any more. He began yelling and cursing. Learned some new words. Thought I'd heard them all. He, then he demanded, when I, when I wouldn't back down, he demanded that I take him to the bus stop and buy him a bus ticket. He knew all the right words to say, you guys. 
You know, things like, this is why I never went to church. You Christians are all about yourselves. You never help people. Yeah, Bob, that's why you, when you got out of jail, you came straight to a church. But whatever. You're calling me on a phone at a hotel that a Christian paid for, but whatever, Bob, you do you. When I had that conversation, Proverbs 30, 15 went through my head. The leech has two daughters. Give, give, they cry. And I sadly realized that people will take and take and take and will never be satisfied. Like Proverbs 30, 15 says, like the leech, never satisfied. And there are some of you all out here right now joining us online and in here that are in toxic, enabling relationships with people you're trying to help. You know it. Your family knows it. Well, maybe you don't know it. Your family knows it. Your friends know it. You may be the only one that doesn't. And there are some of you that right now who truly think you're helping people, but you're going against the words of Scripture. You're going against the words of Scripture, and your giving is not biblical. Maybe it's someone in your family. It's tough to, say, it's, it's tough to watch family members suffer, isn't it? Maybe it's a brother or sister who's fallen on hard times, and you're basically, you basically turn them into a welfare case. Maybe it's a son or a daughter that refused to grow up and you blame yourself for it. You're blaming yourself for not raising right or for giving them a hard life and so you feel that, you, that they deserve your enabling and you're destroying them because you're not living what the Bible says to do but you're destroying them and yourself in the process. Maybe you think it's your job to provide everything for them. They're taking and taking like the leech's daughters. They're saying, give, give, and they're upset when you don't give. I've been there. Remember what the Bible says. If you don't work, you don't eat. Why is that? Is that because the Bible is mean? No, because the Bible, because God knows that unless we participate in our own healing, we won't be healed. Plain and simple. Biblical generosity is an addition to what the person is doing for himself or herself. Remember that. Please remember that as someone who's been burned repeatedly. Generosity is temporary. It's not permanent. It's not a system that you set up to take care of someone. That's not what generosity is. Okay? Your generosity cannot be the solution to someone else's problems. Because you're not helping them. It's not biblical. The obvious exception to this, what I'm saying, is with children. Children, orphans, etc., cannot provide for themselves. That should go without saying. My wife and I sponsor uh, uh, five children, four in our orphanage in India and one through Compassion. When our son died in 2004, we decided to provide for another child. We, had, we, we uh, adopt, well, not adopt, we sponsored a little girl in Haiti who's now 17 years old and about to age out of the program. All right? That is fine. That is perfectly fine. That is not enabling. You cannot enable someone who can't take care of themselves. So giving to orphans, children, that's the exception to this. All right? But adults, mm -mm. be biblical. Do not enable. It is not Christian. It is not compassionate. It is not even good for them. Okay? You're actually destroying the person. God has so much, something so much better for that person than to live off of you. Okay? Remember, generosity is not enabling. And some of you need to go home and have hard conversations with people in your family and in your life right now. Okay? 
Third thing about generosity is that it must be prioritized, okay? See, the problem with generous people, and I love generous people, okay? Generous people are awesome, but the problem with generous people is that our hearts are so big that we just want to give and we don't want to think about what we're doing, okay? But listen to what Scripture says. 1 Timothy 5.8 says this, If anyone who, does, anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever, okay? Now think about Think about that. One of my biggest problems early in my Christian walk was this. I love to give. I always have. I, I love it. Nothing gives me more joy than blessing people. I love it. Okay? But I was undisciplined, and, it was, and I was on an unsustainable path. I didn't have good boundaries when it came to that. I found this out. All, all you generous people out there, and there are a lot of people. I feel like, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir here because you guys are some of the most generous people I've ever met. Seriously. What, what generous people find out very quickly is that one person can bleed you completely dry and still never be satisfied. Seriously. You can pay bills for people. You can give them, uh, you can handle an electric bill, you can handle a mortgage, you can do, th and the next month, it's the same thing, okay? Generosity is the overflow after you have provided for your immediate family, okay? That's what the Bible says. And that goes for money and time. One of the things that destroys pastors' families is they are generous with their time, with their congregation, and with people in the community, and not with their families. I want to ask you, are you out of balance? Gener generous people. I'm speaking to the generous people in here. The greedy people, I'm not, the, I'm not you, you have plenty of time for yourself. That's all you got time for. Okay? I'm talking to the generous people in here, who out of a loving and giving and caring heart, have been generous with people outside your home, and the people in your home are sitting there saying, what are we, chopped liver? I mean, what, what, what are we? We are getting your spare time. We're getting the leftovers, Dad. We're getting the leftovers, Mom. You're, you're out there saving the world. You're giving all of your time to this or to that, and you never miss that, whatever that is. When it comes to us, we get the leftovers. And year after year after year of that will destroy your home. It will destroy your home. In his book, Choosing to Cheat, Pastor Andy Stanley talks about prioritizing our time and resources for that which matters most. Basically what he says is this, is that everybody has this much demand on their time and on their money, and you've got this much time and money. Okay, you've got everybody, whether you're in first grade or you're retired or you're in the midst of it all, working and everything and raising kids like I am, everybody has this much demand and this many resources. And so, what we normally do is, you overtly generous people, is you go to whoever's yelling the loudest. Whatever is demanding your time, whatever is the loudest, the loudest squeaky wheel, right? Well, the problem is, is that our families a lot of times aren't squeaky wheels because they love us. They don't want us to feel bad. They don't want us to know that they're hurt, so they just kind of stay quiet. 
and the loudest squeaky wheel out there gets the most. The person in crisis, the person over here that needs you all the time. All the while neglecting home because it's not loud. What Andy Stanley challenged all of us to do in this book was this is the demand, this is the resources. You only have this much time, only this many resources, so put these where they matter the most and choose to cheat the rest. See, every person in here, because we have more demand on our time, more, more time demands, more money demands, more demands on our resources, are going to have to make some hard decisions about who gets cheated, who is important and who isn't, what is important and what isn't. The problem is that a lot of times we make bad decisions with who gets cheated. You're going to cheat someone. Someone isn't going to get your time. They're not going to be fulfilled. They're not going to get what they want from you. So you have to choose who that is. And what the Bible says here in 1 Timothy 5, 8, anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That is a painful, painful verse for a pastor like me. Because if I give my time to the people out there and not to my family, I've denied the faith that I'm worse than an unbeliever, the Bible says. So we have to prioritize. We have to make sure that the loudest wheel is not getting all of our resources. Because the loudest wheel is not always the right wheel. Okay? The fourth thing we have to understand about generosity is that it's a privilege. It is an absolute 100% privilege to be able to give, to be able to bless other people, to be able to be available. It is a privilege. Uh, when, when King David, the guy who's named after me, um, the, the, when he was building the temple for, for God, the very house of God, the first house that God had ever had, the first permanent location, he was gathering up uh, money and people were bringing stuff in to, to build this thing. <clears throat> and the Lord uh, he was speaking to the Lord, and he says this, but who am I, and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, God, and, we're merely all, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Wow. That's good stuff right there. He's saying, God, I can't believe that you would give me the opportunity to give to you. I can't believe this. Who am I that I could actually give to God? Who am I? I'm nobody. I'm nothing. And yet you allow me to do this. All we're doing, God, is we're simply giving you what's yours. Wow. King David. It's amazing. Wouldn't that be amazing if it offered offering time? That was the attitude of everyone. The plate gets passed. Who am I, God, that I could actually give here, Lord, what I'm giving you is what's already yours. Everything I'm putting in this plate, everything I'm giving to people, everything, it's, it's already yours. So here it is. It's not mine. It's yours. Everything is God's. Who are we? It's crazy. Lord, all we're doing is giving you what's yours. That's it. That's all we're doing. So I want to ask you all a question. Do you view generosity of yourself, of money, of time, of prayer, of counseling, avail making yourself available. Is that a privilege to you? I pray that it is. I pray that it is. Or 
Is it an obligation? Oh my goodness, I have to do this now. Like we said earlier, generosity is availability. If you're not available, if you don't have an availability mindset, then generosity will always be a bad thing for you. Always be a bad thing. It'll be an imposition, a burden. It's a privilege to be available to people, to be available to God. Here at Catalyst, we have two things we want our people to have. We, we talk about it all the time. Only two things, because that's about all we can handle. Okay? It's easy to understand. It's not easy to do. First thing that we want from the people in this church, we want people to exhibit fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the things in Galatians 5, 22 through 23 are marks of people whose lives are being led by the Holy Spirit. The second thing we want is for people to make disciples who can make disciples. That's it. Those are the only two things. People say, well, catalyst, what do you guys do? Those two things. Well, how in the world are you going to make disciples if you're not available? If you're not available, do you see generosity of your time, of investing in someone else, passing your faith on to someone else as a privilege? I hope you do, because there's nothing like leading a person to Christ. There's nothing like it. We want, we want everyone to demonstrate for the Spirit. We want people to make disciples who make disciples. But here's the thing, people. Everything you have is God's, and that's not just material stuff. Everything you have is God. Your time is God's. How many of you all um, uh, have ever bought time? Anybody bought time? Anybody own their own time? Anybody own their life? Can, 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 are you guaranteed to keep living? Does anyone own their own time? No. No. We don't own that. It's God's. Your abilities, your skills, even your faith in God belongs to him. Your knowledge See, if any of that belonged to you, you'd be able to take it with you when you die. You can't. All right? Everything you have is on loan to you from God. And King David said, we're only giving you, God, what you've freely given us. All right? People who see generosity as a privilege and not a burden are some of the most joyful people I've ever seen. A man was visiting with his pastor. He said, Pastor, I've got, I've got, some, I've got a problem here. And the pastor says, okay, well, tell me what it is. And the guy said, you know, when I first started coming to this church, I was only making $30,000 a year, and I was, a I was able to tithe, but, but, but now my business has grown, and I'm making a million dollars a year, and there's just no way I can give $100,000 a year. There's no way I can do it. It's too much. And the pastor nodded and said, let's pray. And he said, Father... Together we ask you to reduce this man's income back to 30000 So he's able to be faithful to you. And the guy's like, whoa, no, 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 no. Why is it that it seems the more we have, the less is available? It's because we lose a vision of generosity as a privilege. We start seeing it as an obligation. I was in India several years ago. And in between events, speaking events, people in the church and the community would ask us to come to their homes and pray with them and visit with them because it was an honor. They, they, they thought it was an honor for us to be there. And we would pray for them in their homes, but we would go and they would always offer us something to eat and either coffee or tea. And after three or four homes, you were coffee and teed out. 
and you were full because there's usually something sweet or something high and carbs, some starchy that they, and he's talking about just being full and not wanting to eat anything else. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. They blessed us more than we could ever imagine. And these are people that had nothing, you all. And yet they made their homes and their food available. Amazing people, joyful people. They saw generosity as a privilege. And it's time some of us started seeing that too. It's a mindset change. And the fifth thing about generosity is this. It's Christ-like. The Christian obsesses over whether or not he or she is following the example of Jesus. That's the only thing the Christian cares about. Is my life more and more like Jesus? That's it. That's the only thing the Christian cares about. Right? Anything else? That, it, it, doesn't, it takes complete backseat. A, a true Christian constantly examines his or her life to see, is my life Christ-like? Am I making the decisions Jesus would make if he had my time, my talents, my income? Am I living as Jesus wants me to live? Am I following his example? That is an obsession with the Christian. And the Christian constantly, constantly makes revisions and makes changes to follow the example of Jesus more faithfully. All right? The first thing we see about God the first thing we see about God is this in Genesis 1, 29, in the first chapter of the Bible. God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And then eight chapters later in Genesis 9, 3, he says this, everything that lives and moves about will be food for you just as I gave you the green plants. I now give you everything. The first thing we see about God is that he's a creator and he's a giver, all right? That is at the very heart of the nature of God himself. And if we as Christians say that we love Jesus, that we are saved and that we are gonna be Christ-like and we are not givers, then we are missing the very heart of God himself. Plain and simple. I, I wish that I had time to have an open mic up here and just say, what has God given you? And have per person after person after person give a testimony how God has blessed them. What God? How many of you all have been blessed by God? Absolutely. The Bible tells that God gives generously without finding fault. And if we are going to be Christ-like, we have got to take on that mindset. We've got to take on that because at the heart of God himself is generosity and giving, okay? God's ways, best ways. Proverbs 11, 24 through 25 says this, one person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, it comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. So my question is this, how many of you all in here need to be refreshed? How many of you all are, man, this, this, this is basically what, what was keeping you alive? was keeping you afloat. This, this gathering of worship, you need to be refreshed. What does the Bible say? Whoever refreshes others will also be refreshed, law of sowing and reaping. And here's, the, here's my, my last question is this. The grace of God is given generously without finding fault. The grace of God. There are people in here today who are not Christians. 
And I'm so glad you're here because this is where you need to be. Maybe you're just wrestling with God. You don't know if you can trust him. You don't know if you can surrender your life. You, uh, you may be afraid of change. Uh, if I become a Christian, if I surrender, I'll, I'll just have to change too much. And that's scary. I get that. I get that. I really do. But here's the thing. God wants to give you his grace. See, the Bible tells us that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's a gift. There's not a single person in here, when you die, I'd love to see this, I'd love to have a camera, that when, when you die, you go stand before God and say, God, I should be in heaven because of all the great stuff I did. God will be like, really? Tell me about all this great stuff you did. And you list off things that you think were great. And, it, and he would say, you know what? There was a serial killer one time standing for a judge who'd killed a bunch of people. And he said, but judge, I shouldn't be in jail because I helped an old lady cross the street and I paid my taxes. And I even gave some money sometime and I volunteered here and I did this. And the judge is going to be like, what difference does that make? That doesn't make any difference at all. You're a serial killer. You're guilty. You're a criminal. In the same way, God looks at all the good things that we've done and says, none of those things count, you all. You're a sinner, I'm a sinner. And you need the gift of grace. You need the gift of grace. It is not anything you earn. It is not anything that you that you can work for is nothing you can bargain with. It is a gift. And if you're willing to receive it, God in all his generosity will give you the gift of eternal life. When you die, eternal life. It's a gift because God at his heart is a giver. And once you become a Christian, we become more and more like him and giving and generosity becomes the heart of of who we are. I am so blessed to pastor a church that is as generous as this one. I, I, the, the, the sacrifices that you all make to do kingdom work, the availability of your time and resources, it's unbelievable. I, 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 I talk to pastors and I, 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 I hate, almost hate saying it because I feel like I'm bragging when I talk about you all. Y'all are amazing. And the generosity of this church continues to astound me. The generosity of this church continues to build the kingdom. One of the things that, um, that we're going to be talking about at VBS is missions. VBS tonight. My friend Rob Esposito is going to be the missionary. We've been supporting him. And Rob and I were talking the other day, and we, he said, man, I can't believe that this little church in the middle of Nicholsville, nowhere, is doing so much work around the world and, and here. And, and he, he was just like, I can't believe what, you, what is coming out of your church. He goes, there are churches 10 times your size that aren't doing nearly the amount of kingdom work that you're doing. He said, you guys have supported me and Laura Baxter in Honduras. You've got church plants in Jamaica. You've got uh, missions in India, in Nepal, and, and Bangladesh, and Pakistan, where there are more than 700, now there are more than 780 churches that are functioning now because of what you guys have given. 
what you're doing. There's, there's been work in Kenya done. There's all kinds of stuff. And then we're planning a church in Lexington starting, next, starting in a couple weeks. He's like, what the heck is wrong with you people? Why are you guys doing all this? This is, this is ridiculous. You could, you could be keeping that all to yourself. And I said, buddy, that's what we're here to do. That's what we're here to do. We're here to do kingdom work. And we, I happen to have a church full of people that believe that too. And it's amazing. You want to know why God has blessed us like he has? Because generous people will prosper. He who refreshes others will be refreshed.